0: Hi everyone, my name is Natalie Ledwell and this is The Inspiration Show. Today on the show, I have a special guest who's written a book called The End to Upside Down Thinking, um, which is talking a lot about uh, how our consciousness is not exactly what we think or originates from where we think it does. So it's gonna be a very juicy conversation today. But before I introduce my special guest, I just wanna remind you that once the show is over, don't forget to click the link below this video so that you can download the free ebook Version of my best-selling book, Never in Your Wildest Dreams. So, please help me introduce my special guest, Mr. Mark Gober. How are you, Mark?
1: I'm um, well. How are you, Natalie?
0: I am fantastic. I think I'm finally over the jet lag, which is great. So, that's great. <laughs> Blue skies today. It's fantastic. Um, so, I alluded to the the, uh, the title of your book, your new book that's out. Um, But uh, it's interesting that you write this book because, you know, brain science is not really your background. So can you just um, tell our viewers a little bit about your story and how you got to write this particular book?
1: Sure. So I'm often asked when people hear my background, how did you end up writing a book on consciousness? Um, So I'm a partner at a firm in Silicon Valley called Sherpa Technology Group. We advise tech companies on their business strategy and innovation. Prior to that, I was an investment banking analyst with UBS in New York during the financial crisis. So again, nothing really to do with consciousness. And prior to that, I was at Princeton University where I was captain of the tennis team, so very busy with sports, and I studied uh, psychology and economics and judgment and decision making. So again, not really consciousness per se. But it was about two years ago that things changed for me. And I should go back to the college years for a minute. I almost decided to major in astrophysics because I had big questions about the universe and who and what we are and what are we doing here. So I think the big questions have always been there, but it wasn't until about two years ago that I came at things through a different angle when looking at existence and meaning. And it it happened kind of randomly. I was listening to a health podcast and a woman came on who talked about psychic abilities and working with energy and talking to people who are deceased. And I'd never heard this before, and it certainly didn't change my life listening to that one podcast. But that one podcast led me to listen to more podcasts, one in particular called Healing Powers. The woman's name is Laura Powers, who was the psychic I initially heard. She has her own podcast. So I said, okay, I'll turn that on when I drive from San Francisco down into the peninsula, and I would just leave the podcast on. And I heard enough people who were describing similar things of, oh yeah, I have these psychic abilities. I used to work in business or law or something. And, and these are people who are independently describing the same thing. And that's when I said, okay, what's going on here? Something kind of clicked where I said, well, I can't reason that all these people are delusional or that they're all lying and they're not colluding behind the scenes because they're totally separate. So is there something going on in our reality that I was not aware of? And that's when I started to look at the science behind all of this and ended up for about a year Researching nonstop outside the office outside of my day job with Sherpa because I wanted to understand What is this reality that, that I'm in because once I understand the reality that I'm in that will inform how I act and behave in the world because That's ultimately how everything works and as I told friends about some of the research I was doing at first. I was very afraid to tell people about it I mean psychic abilities talking to dead people Reincarnation studies. I mean these were not things that I ever came up in business discussions Uh, But eventually I became comfortable enough with the research to start talking to people about it And I got very positive responses and people said that it was shifting how they looked at their life over time They would say Mark we had that dinner a few months ago And I'm still thinking about some of the things we talked about So I heard enough of that where I said okay Why don't I just try to put my thoughts on paper because before then I had no plans of writing a book let alone a book about consciousness Um, so It was over a few weekends in July of 2017, and one of them was 4th of July weekend, a four-day weekend that year. I basically channeled my inner investment banker and didn't sleep almost for four days and just wrote and finished a big chunk of the book that weekend. So I came out of July 2017 with the book that is now out.
0: Right. So it's really interesting how someone like yourself, who's such a conscious, logical thinker, um, can get sparked by something as ethereal as consciousness <laughs> um, and, and thank God that you did because believe me, you know, when you were saying that, you know, you've heard about people that talk to dead people and I mean, in my line of work, that's that's a Wednesday, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm like, I always joke about how I live in California. I'm like, oh, God, I know people that talk, to, that can communicate with animals, that, you know, like like oh, the whole bunch of things. But but for you, it was like this one little spark, but your logical brain went, no, let's really dive into this and see what it is. We just go, oh, yeah, that's true. But you, you wanted to explain it, which was awesome. So you specifically make a reference to upside down thinking. So what is the myth or what is the uh, the preconception that you're actually turning on its head from what you've discovered through your research.
1: Okay, we're gonna go deep very quickly with this. So this gets back to the start of the universe. The the upside down thinking, it has a special name in science and philosophy, it's called materialism. And it it is basically this chain of thinking. It says that the universe began 13.8 billion years ago with a big event, it's called the Big Bang in science. And it filled the universe with physical material that we call matter, like physical atoms. That's why it's called materialism. And when you have this big universe filled with physical matter you're bound to end up with reactions between those pieces of matter We call that chemistry. So we started with physical matter. Now we have chemistry You have enough random chemical reactions that leads to a self-replicating molecule like DNA Which leads to biology matter to chemistry to biology that leads to the evolution of a human being that develops a brain And from the brain comes out consciousness and when I say consciousness, I mean Our awareness and our subjective inner experience. It's like our mind. So right now you and I are speaking and your listeners are are watching this. Um, We all have this subjective experience of being aware and being alive. What is that? That's what I'm referring to as consciousness, and it's not physical. So the upside-down thinking, what I'm calling materialism, uh, it says that matter creates consciousness through a brain. And what I'm arguing in the book is Different pieces of scientific evidence, which suggests that that is not true. And that's instead of saying it's matter creates consciousness, it's the other way around. That consciousness comes first, and we can leave everything we know about material physics, chemistry, biology, even neuroscience. But consciousness is just put in a new place as being the fundamental basis of reality existing beyond space and time. So that means when the physical changes, the consciousness itself hasn't left. So when the body dies, the consciousness hasn't died. And the consciousness is located effectively everywhere. So psychic ability is a non-local consciousness. All of those things all of a sudden are not paranormal anymore.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, like I said, in my world we go, yeah, okay, that sounds that sounds right. <laughs> so uh, so let's talk about what you mean by consciousness. So are we talking about like the collective consciousness? Are we talking about God? Like what? how would you describe this?
1: Hmm. I think different people have different names for it yeah. what I'm how I think about it is the the underlying field if you will of reality and there's an analogy that I think can really help from Dr. Bernardo Kastrup which describes reality as being like a stream of water where water is consciousness so that's what I'm describing and each of us we're part of that stream but we're like individual whirlpools I'm one whirlpool you're another whirlpool and So we have these individual experiences where it seems localized, but we're fundamentally part of the greater stream. And the water is representing that consciousness. So that's what I'm referring to as being the basis of reality, and people can call it uh, energy, or there are different religious terms for it, or consciousness. I think it's all the same thing.
0: Yeah. So what I hear you saying is that we are all the one thing, like we are all connected.
1: Yes. So that is definitely where I'm now coming out. I certainly didn't before I began my research. Mm -hmm. I thought we were separate and had individual consciousnesses, individual minds. But as Erwin Schrodinger said, who was one of the great quantum physicists, he said, in truth, there is only one mind. And that is what I'm referring to. Even though we have these localized personal experiences, we kind of almost have an amnesia and a uh, a blinders on to the broader reality. And that allows us to have more personal experiences and learning.
0: Right. OK, so having this revelation, or having this realization, I should say, um, how does this change the way that we look at like anything? How, do we, how does this change the way that we look or that we live our lives?
1: I think it has a massive impact. And I can say that from personal experience, because I used to think that materialism was right. And that means when the body dies, because the body and the brain produce consciousness, then the consciousness is gone. So there are no memories anymore. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to come up with meaning in life, if you think that's it. Because then it's just a matter of collecting as much material stuff as you can during your life, and then it's over. Um, And it doesn't really promote collective collective behavior and altruism as much, whereas this idea that you and I are speaking of, of kind of a collective consciousness and a broader stream that connects all of us, that has big implications for how we treat one another. And if, if you are me at the level of consciousness, then I have a real incentive. Thinking about business, there's an incentive. It's rational to want to help others. Uh, so that I think that's a big flip. But I, I would love to talk about one of the phenomena, one of the many I discuss in the book that gets to your question
0: yeah. the
1: near death experience. I mean, I wish this were taught in school. And I, I love, Natalie, that you're working on education systems because I think someone like you, we need people like you uh, informing our education systems. But the near death experience, I can't believe I didn't learn about it. These are instances where people, and sometimes they're completely brain dead. I mean, they're in cardiac arrest and they're having a lucid memory of hovering over their body and having what's called a life review. And this is really important if it's a real thing, where people experience their whole life in a flash and they are feeling the feelings of how they affected people. Oh, wow, I shouldn't, and they're judging themselves. I I treated that person poorly. But in some cases, they experience that through the eyes of the people that they affected. So let's say Bob was really mean to Jane in his life In Bob's life review during his near-death experience, and possibly this is what happens when we die, he is feeling those feelings through Jane's eyes and feeling the pain, and then he comes back into his body after the near-death experience, and his life has changed. He says, no, it's not about getting the fancy car. Those are okay things to allow me to do things in life, but what matters is how I'm treating people. So Mm -hmm. that is a huge thing, especially when we look at the issues in the world today. If that's the reality we're in, where it's really about how we treat one another because we're the same, that has profound implications for how we live individually and how we live as a whole society.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like if, if the world had more empathy and compassion, uh, it would be a completely different place. <laughs> you know, and what you're talking about is, is people really having that experience viscerally, you um, so that they actually know exactly what that's like. So, so what are some of the like the psychic phenomena and things that you were um, researching for the book? And, and was there anything that really kind of surprised you that sort of jumped out?
1: Yes. So, in the book, I discuss a number of phenomena. My reasoning is that if any of these are real, again, to try to appeal to the logical mind yes. of people who are not familiar, if any one of these is real, we can explain it very well by a transcendent consciousness that is before matter, effectively. We can't explain it well if consciousness comes from the brain, which is the conventional view. There are a number of phenomena I discuss. One is the near-death experience, but in terms of psychic abilities, non-local consciousness, uh, I would say the one that sticks out most is called remote viewing, but I'll go back to that in a second just to give your listeners a a sense of what else is there. Telepathy is one, so actual science behind mind-to-mind communication. So somebody, uh, you think of somebody, then they call you, there's some science to suggest that that's a real thing, sometimes. Psychokinesis, which is the ability for the mind to affect physical matter. This has profound implications for health and just how we live and our, the, the effect of our intentions. Um, precognition, which is the ability to know or sense the future before the future happens. Again, if consciousness is beyond time, it's like there's a way for consciousness to reach forward or backwards in time, which is it's a totally mind-blowing thing.
0: Well, that's if uh, time is linear, but that's another conversation. <laughs>
1: that's a whole big conversation. What is time? But yes. <laughs> Uh, I also talk about animals that have these abilities as well and the research behind that But I'll go back to remote viewing which is what I mentioned before This is the ability to perceive something with the mind alone. That means the eyes aren't seeing it I'm here in California, and I can see something in Europe that's hidden in a safe for example There are people that have this ability it sounds completely crazy when I first tell people about it I would have said it was crazy based on the materialist view of consciousness is, is stuck in my brain then it's yeah It's impossible, but if we switch our perspective, it's possible What shocked me the most? So I'll go through maybe a few pieces of evidence with regard to remote viewing. And what shocks me is the fact that there are so many independent pieces that are credible. One is the U.S. government has run a a more than 20-year program on this. And when I pulled up the CIA's declassified documents, which are in my book, An End to Upside Down Thinking, they say, I'll give a direct quote, remote viewing is a real phenomenon. Okay, that's one.
0: Period.
1: (laughs) Period. That's one line in the document and they go through why they think that is. The president of the American Statistics Association was asked by Congress and the CIA to look at this, and in her report, she says, using the standards applied to any other area of science, it is concluded that psychic functioning has been well established. Okay, that's two. Um, Princeton University, I had no idea there was a a whole lab for 27 years being run by the former dean of engineering, Dr. Robert John. The lab has been shut down, but it was running for almost 30 years. They say that remote viewing is real. They ran over 600 trials. Hmm. Former President Jimmy Carter said that remote viewing was used to find a downed Russian bomber that was lost in an African jungle. Remote viewers were able to see it with their minds. So those are just a few examples. When you put them all together, it's very hard for me as a logical person to reason that they're all lies, even when they're kind of disconnected and it's independent people. So that, I think, has shocked me is that there's so much and that I didn't know about it and that we don't – I mean, how is this not on the news all the time? I don't get it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. And, and what you've done is you've scientifically explained a lot of what we understand or feel or, or know to be true. Uh, so you've just taken the woo out of woo, right?
1: <laughs> right. And maybe someone with my background, um, maybe that was needed because my background is, is from the logical perspective. So I really wanted to appeal to people who think logically, but also yep. I think there are many people who have these experiences, but don't necessarily know how to talk about them. And the people, so many people have come up to me since I've gotten into this work, and they say, Mark, I've had this experience, but I haven't been comfortable telling anyone about it because I can't really explain it, and people will think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that the, the book and the work that I'm doing around it will help those people feel much more comfortable about their experiences because they can be profound and life-changing, and sh- people shouldn't be afraid to talk about them.
0: Absolutely. So darling, uh, we have run out of time, but uh, if people want to connect with you and get their hands on the book, where can we send them to do that?
1: My website, which is my name markgobe com, markgober.com. com has information on me and my book, and into Upside Down Thinking, which is also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and many bookstores. And in the next few months, I also have my own bod- podcast coming out in which I interview the scientists that I talk about in my book. So you can hear them discuss the studies that they've been running.
0: Awesome, wonderful. Well, Mark, thanks for joining me today, darling. It's always great chatting to you.
1: <laughs> always great chatting with you. Thanks for having me.
0: Wonderful. So, guys, uh, I encourage you to either click the link below this video or the banner to the side to go directly to the Mark site. Uh, and please, let's share this video. Let's get the word out there. And you can do that by clicking the Facebook and the Twitter share buttons on this page. And then, finally, after all that is over, don't forget to link. Click the link below that so you can download the free ebook version of my best-selling book, Never in Your Wildest Dreams. So, until next time, remember to live large, choose courageously, and love without limits. We'll see you soon.